Well, good morning, Springbrook. It's so good to see all of you today. You're looking good, and we're going to dive into God's Word. Uh, this is a picture of, uh, let's see, where did my clicker go? <laughs> there it is, all right. A picture of who? Kobe Bryant. Yeah, there's some excellent basketball player. How many saw the game his last game uh, where he scored 60 points. Anybody see that? All right. Well, certainly about you heard about it on the news. Uh, just, you know, remarkable. <laughs> he has a remarkable career, and then he ends it breaking an NBA record. How do you like that? But we all know who the best basketball player of all time is, and that's Michael Jordan. Yeah. Right. He brought us a lot of entertainment over the years, and uh, yeah, we tend to look at these guys as superstars. I mean, they say, yeah, well, I play basketball, but I could never play like Mike. It's not possible. In the same way, we look at biblical characters, and we say the same thing. Oh, you got Moses, and Elijah, and Nehemiah, and yeah, well, those are superstars, and we can never be like them. Wrong. Wrong. You can be like them. Because, you see, they were just ordinary people. When you think about Moses, well, you know, he, he grew up there, of course, in Egypt, uh, in the royal family. And uh, he became convicted of his Jewish brethren being persecuted. So what does he do? He takes his passion... And he kills an Egyptian guard that's beating an Israelite, and then he heads out of town. Real helpful. <laughs> so he disappears into the wilderness, and he is uh, taking care of sheep over a 40-year period. And finally he comes to the burning bush, and God says, I want you to lead them out of captivity. And Moses says, oh, no, I, no, I can't do that. I, I, I don't speak real well. My, my, my brother Aaron, he's much better. You should ask him. And uh, I don't think they'll respect me, you know, my background. Excuse after excuse after excuse. This is a very reluctant leader, okay? But God took that ordinary guy and did extraordinary things through him. And we have to understand that if we really submit our lives to Christ and seek out what our pathway is that God has for us, that He can do extraordinary things through us as individuals and as a church. Well, we're getting a new series today entitled Discovering Your Spiritual Pathway. Discovering Your Spiritual Pathway. And we're going to talk about Nehemiah's life. Now, Nehemiah, uh, that, there's been more books written on leadership in the Christian world on Nehemiah than any other book. I mean, it's just packed full of wonderful lessons, and we'll be talking about some of those. Uh, but it's a fascinating book about how God calls a man to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after they had been destroyed and all the challenges and all the beautiful things that God did in this process. So, 
Here is our schedules. We look forward. Uh, Mother's Day is next day. How do you like that, moms? <laughs> yeah, again, great opportunity to invite your friends out. One of those easy asks. Hey, come out and be celebrated at Mother's Day. Then we have a step out in faith about when Nehemiah uh, stepped out in faith and saw great things happen. And then we're going to have the executive director of Converge Worldwide for Missions coming. He'll be speaking on May 22nd, and he is a great guy. He's going to have great stories about uh, what we're doing around the world and how we're also involved in that. And then we have commitment to the vision. So another illustration or another uh, lesson uh, from Nehemiah. So this Nehemiah series will go May and June. Well, let me give you a little bit of history here uh, before we get started. So you have some context as we look at this story. Now, here you have uh, Israel, okay, in this area. And what happened was is that Solomon, when he ruled, that was the zenith of Israel's history. That's when they had the most land, the most power, the most resources, and everybody else looked up to them. Unfortunately, because of Solomon's sin and other sin, uh, there was a schism after Solomon died. So the tribe of Judah ended up here in Jerusalem, this area, and all the other tribes went north, and they became the northern kingdom. So the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and you know, all the kings of the Bible, you, know, you read through First and Second Kings, uh, they all were serving during this period of time, and most of them were really bad. <laughs> so uh, finally, what happened was, is that God said, if you don't clean up your act, I'm going to send you into captivity. Well, that's exactly what he did. In 722 B.C., uh, from the northern kingdom, uh, they were taken captive by the Assyrians, and they were spread out all over the place. Uh, now, what happened in uh, 586 B.C. is that Judah was overrun, and they were taken captive and into exile by uh, Babylon. And so they stayed there for 70 years, which God had told them that's how long they would have to stay in order uh, to be uh, disciplined and uh, get back on track. And then in 539, uh, this was now, let's see, Persia defeated Babylon and took over this area. And so what happened was is that they sent people back to Jerusalem to help rebuild. So that's a history that uh, we have that this story takes place in. Now, Nehemiah, let's see here. Oh, you have to do it for me. Nehemiah 1.1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Achaliah, in the month of Shizlov, in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital. So here we see Nehemiah introduced uh, to us. Now, he didn't have any great pedigree. He didn't have this long line of great uh, priests or... Uh, leaders behind him. He was just the son of Hekeliah. 
And again, he was just an ordinary guy. In the months, and then he was in Susa. And Susa was the capital of Medo-Persia in that day. And uh, he was a cupbearer to the king. Now, a cupbearer was the one who tasted the wine and tasted the food in order that the king might not be poisoned. And that's a pretty good gig. I mean, he had a pretty good lifestyle. And, I mean, he ate the king's food every day. That'd be like you having the opportunity to go any restaurant wherever you want, and it's free. <laughs> That'd be fun, huh? Uh, wouldn't be good for our health, but at the same time, this is exactly what happened. So he was enjoying these great meals every day. The only downside of the job is, well, you might die from what you eat. But I'm sure he forgot about that because he had a trusted group of people around him that were preparing the food and processing uh, the food. But that was his position. It was a position of influence. It, it was a position where he had access to the king. Not many people had access uh, to the king. And so it was not a bad job. Not, he was still in captivity, but many, of course, the people in captivity would be doing different uh, jobs at that particular time. Nehemiah 1 2. One of my brothers, Hen and I, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity and about Jerusalem. So he hasn't heard many reports uh, from what's going on in Jerusalem. And finally, one of his brothers shows up, with some others, and he gives them a report about what's happening in Jerusalem. Nehemiah 1.3, they reply, The survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So they've wiped out Jerusalem. And when you take down the walls of a city in that day, you were a sitting duck because there are all kinds of people who would love to come in and take over and Rob from you. So when the walls were down, there was no protection. And there was great shame. Remember we talked about the honor-shame culture back in that day? I mean, it was all about God. I mean, the Israelites, by rebelling and being brought into slavery, were just dragging God through the dust. Uh, God didn't have a good reputation in that day. Like, hey, what are you talking about? Your God can't do anything. We certainly don't want that to be a result of our behavior. We want to glorify God and lift His name high. So it's not a good situation at all. In fact, this is how Nehemiah responds. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, why was this so devastating to Nehemiah? That was Jerusalem. It was hometown. It was his people. It was the temple. All those different things. And it really wasn't the walls, per se, or the buildings. It was just a reflection of how far Israel had gone away from God. How far they had drifted from God. That the city of Jerusalem would be in this type of shape. So he was just grieving over all the things that had happened to Israel uh, because of their sin. 
and he was just overwhelmed by it. I mean, imagine if uh, you grew up in a hometown, it was a smaller town, so everybody knew everyone, and then you heard on the TV that there was a tornado that ripped through that town and killed a lot of people, a lot of people that you knew, that you loved, where you grew up. That would be a pretty devastating one. Well, that's kind of what Nehemiah is going through here. He has a grief for the nation of Israel. I mean, it's serious. I mean, when's the last time you sat down and wept about something? Wept about something. When's that time you actually sat down and thought of the, the condition our country is in? And it saddened you to see uh, so many people are being hurt as the culture continues uh, to go in the wrong way. He was fasting and he was praying. Fasting and praying. Fasting, going without food in order to put your whole focus on God and whatever particular issue you're working through. And he was doing this many, many days. Now, when we talk about prayer, uh, we have this particular acronym, A-C-T-S. And it's always been helpful to many people through the years in terms of how to frame up your prayers. First, it starts with adoration, worship. Then it goes to confession. You know, where have I you know, drifted from you? Then it goes to uh, thanksgiving. That's a wonderful part. Uh, thanking the Lord and then supplications. Here are my needs. So we talked a lot about worship-based prayer, how we seek God's face before we seek His hand. The Lord's Prayer, the first half is all about worship. The last half is all about supplication. And so we in our own personal lives and as a corporate body need to remember we always start out with worship. In fact, when you think about adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, that's all part of worship. Right? When you come to God and you, know, you, you confess your sins and uh, you show thanksgiving and adore Him, that's all worship-based. And then you move to the supplications. And look at the supplications are last, right? And they're only one quarter of what you're praying for. So it's so important that we continue to grow as disciples in getting different resources, uh, searching on the Internet for verses on worship and different ways to worship in your quiet time uh, because that is where God wants us to be. Now, I bring these up because this prayer that Nehemiah prays that we're going to go over kind of fits this acronym. So we look at Nehemiah 1.5. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. What a beautiful way to worship the Lord through prayer, right? That's what you're doing through prayer. You're just reflecting back to Him who He is, who is, He is revealed to be uh, through Scripture. So He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Again, uh, when you go into a time with God, what's the main purpose? Well, it's to spend time with God, right? Or 
time with God, uh, time alone with God, your tag time, whatever you want to call it, quiet time. But the purpose of that is to get to know God better. And therefore, you have to study the Word. And the greater understanding of God, the more dynamic your spiritual life will be. You'll realize how powerful He is. Steadfast love. Love Him and keep His commandments. Well, the next verse, Nehemiah 1.6. Nehemiah, okay. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants. It's kind of an odd thing, you know. You really need to pay attention to me, Lord. <laughs> I want your full attention. When, of course, he's giving his full attention, right? He always is giving all of his attention. But it's interesting how Nehemiah frames this up and saying, God, this is really really important. It really reflected his passion for what needed to happen here. Let your ear, God, be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray for you day and night for your servant. So what he was saying is, God, this is so important to me. This is consuming my life. And I need you to help me. So please be attentive. Please open your eyes and see what's going on. It was just a form of passion that came out as he prayed. And he prayed for day and night. It's interesting, if you look at the calendar, Nehemiah, when he heard about what had happened, until the time when he started to build the building, it was 104 days. Now, how many days did it take him to build the building, or the walls, that is? 52. 52 days. How long did he pray and fast and plan? 102 days. Or 102 days. You realize he spent... Twice as much time praying, planning, uh, asking the Lord for wisdom, crying out for His help. That really is amazing, isn't it? Have you ever done that before? You prayed double the time that you've actually been in the activity you were praying for? That shows us that Nehemiah knew that the only way that they could rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was through prayer and more prayer, and more fasting, because this was, you know, really an impossible project. So he had to pray for long periods of time. And I think, you know, as I think of Nehemiah, it was kind of like work-based prayer. Have you ever done that before? And you got an issue going on in your life. And so what you do is you go to God and say, God, I want you to help me here and uh, give me wisdom. And so you might, you know, Open the Bible, look for different passages that have to do with your particular situation. Uh, and I go on the Internet, whatever. But at the same time, God is there. It's like you're working together. You're always acknowledging that He's there during that particular time. And so you and God are working on the project. <laughs> okay? I would encourage you to try that sometime. 
if you have an issue, burden going on in your life, you know, go to God and work through it. I mean, most of the time we, we spend our energy with anxiety that just drains us throughout the day. Well, let's just say, hey, tonight I'm going to spend a half hour working on this problem with God. I'm going to take all that anxiety I have and just say, God well, is going to take care of me. And so I'm going to put that time in there. And I'm going to read his word. And I'm going to listen to him. And I'm going to ask him to show me different resources, different people to talk to. But you'll actually be working with God in order to move things forward in your life. But, of course, the challenge is that most of us uh, do not pray as, as God would desire us to pray. Now, again, we're building disciples here at Springbrook, so uh, we're certainly going to expect something different from a newborn than we are from someone who's been living, you know, 40 years in Christ. Uh, but then again, even living 40 years doesn't mean you're mature, right? Because you have to submit to Christ's lordship and say, I am serious about doing what you want me to do in my life. That's how you grow as a disciple. And that's what we're here to do, a disciple-making body, as Christ put it together and as the head of the body. So, the next thing you see here is the people of Israel confessing their sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. So again, he's confessing the sins of his nation. It's interesting he includes himself in there. Of course, they're all sinners, but you would think Nehemiah probably throughout his life was a very devout Jew and we see that in his life, certainly, as expressed in the book of Nehemiah. But uh, he includes his family. Why? Because he's talking about the whole nation. Even his own family. We have all sinned against you. We have all rebelled. We've all not followed your commands. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in right now. And that's what God wanted to hear. That was the whole purpose of putting them in exile. So they would realize the mistake they made, they would realize that their rebellious attitudes, their desire to live life on their own and not do it God's way, there's a price to pay for that. So Nehemiah was doing exactly what God wanted. He wanted all the people of Israel to, to say a prayer like this, confessing the sins. We have offended you deeply. That's an understatement, right? When you look at the Israelites and uh, their on and off relationship with God. Failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Yeah, you know, we haven't paid much attention to your law. And it goes on. Remember the word that you commanded Moses, your servant Moses, that is, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And they, of course, were unfaithful. So he's confessing sin here. Now, this is an interesting thing uh, to talk and think about. When was the last time you confessed a sin? You confessed a sin. Now, we know that through Christ's sacrifice, 
that all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But we continue to sin, of course, and it damages our fellowship with God. Kind of like, you know, uh, uh, in terms of a cell phone, had a lot of static on it. When you're walking away from God, if you're not uh, obeying Him, you're going to have a lot of static online in terms of God listening to you and hearing you, unless you're, of course, repenting from that. But think about confession. Have you confessed a sin this week in your life? Think about that. Was there a time this week you said, oh, man, uh, I'm sorry. And, and we, we don't, God doesn't forgive us. What we do is we claim the forgiveness that he already has given us. All right? So we say, God, I know that I'm out of fellowship with you, and I know that that was wrong, and uh, I confess it. And then you get back in the relationships, like being married, right? Uh, good times, bad times. I mean, bad times, you're out of fellowship with each other, and you don't want to be around each other. Well, you want to always bring yourself back and uh, show humility in order to continue to walk uh, with your spouse. So, uh, if you have not confessed a sin this week, you are not fully understanding the depth of your depravity. <laughs> you know, I mean, some people think that. Oh, that was a good week. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's a lot of sins that you're doing unconsciously that the Holy Spirit has not shown you. But even with the ones you do know about, let's face it. We are sinful people. And we're going to continue to sin, hopefully, as we mature in Christ, uh, we continue to become more holy in Him. But while we're here on earth, there's always a need for confession. Maybe you had a conversation with someone and you hurt them in what you said. And you see, the trick here uh, is the Holy Spirit. Now, if you really open up your heart and say, Okay, Holy Spirit, I want you to reveal my sin. You might not want to say that, but I want you to reveal my sin this week. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be open. And because we are just so automatic in the way that we live our lives, there are so many sins that are just part of our usual habits that we can't identify. But the closer you get to God, the more you're going to see your sin. And when you identify the sin, you say, God... I'm not honoring you, I'm not obeying you, and I confess that, I, I own up to it, and I want to get back in fellowship uh, with you. Now, some of you, you know, you haven't maybe prayed to God in that way in so long that there's just, you know, the cell phone is not working. And God says that, you know, that if you continue to live in sin and you're not concerned about it, that he's not listening as closely as he would. That's another motivation, right? To confess our sins in order that we might uh, stay in communication uh, with God. So I would encourage you, if you have been, um, you know, shutting down the Holy Spirit, can't even hear the Holy Spirit anymore, today is a day where you need to go to God and say, I confess that I have 
not responded, that I have not listened to your Spirit. Please continue the work of sanctification in my life. In verse 8, Moses commanded, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among all the peoples, which he did. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, that means, of course, the Israelites, they were spread all over this place, especially uh, those that were uh, taken by Assyria. I mean, they went all over the place. They're a little more uh, together uh, when Babylon took them away. I will gather them there and bring them to the place which I have chosen to establish my name. Have you ever, uh, have you ever claimed a promise in the prayer, saying, "God, you said this, you promised me." <laughs> but that's true, right? If He promised you, well, then, yeah, it's good to say it. It's good to speak Scripture back to Him and say, "Oh Lord, you know, you promised to me, and I'm, I'm having faith that you are going uh, to deliver." Then a time of thanksgiving, A-C-T-S, thanksgiving. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and your strong hands. So he goes back to worship. He goes back to thanksgiving, saying, hey, these are the people that are yours. Nehemiah 111, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Have we seen that one here before? Yeah, it was the first part of the prayer, right? I mean, this guy is really passionate. He says, Lord, this is something I need you to act upon. He goes on to say, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Well, what man is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the king that he was cupbearer to. He was going to ask him for some things, which really was unheard of in that day, and Typically, he would have been killed uh, for approaching uh, the king. But we'll see what happens with that as we study a couple of weeks from now. But, but again, he is specifically praying. It's so important to be specific in your prayers. Oh, God, be with my family. He's already with your family, okay? You don't have to pray that, <laughs> Okay. Uh, just bless our lives. Well, what kind of blessings do you want? Let's get specific here. Make a list. I like this blessing, this blessing, this blessing, you know. Uh, the more specific you are in what you want from God, I really think the more motivating it is to pray that prayer and then waiting to see if God says yes or no or later, <laughs> Right? We've got to really pray for what we need, what's really important to us, and not say so vague. I always encourage people to have a prayer request. I put mine on my phone, and uh, you know I have my written prayers out there, and therefore I can keep track of them, and I'll remember them, and I'll see what God does. Now, he might not answer the way that you want to answer, have it answered, but he is going to care for you. Uh, give success to your servant today. Now, what? Oh, that's, a, that's not a good word. 
success, right? That's the way this world is, always saying you have to be successful. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with being successful if it's for God's glory. Now, if you're praying for success for yourself in order that you, you know, might flourish in life and you might be able to buy the things you want and have the... Well, that, that's not what God wants to give you. Now, He's going to give it to you, maybe, if you're faithful to Him. But any time that you pray in God's will, Lord, you promised this, you said this, and Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. So when we pray for our church, He is going to do something. Because that is His will. And He's waiting for us to pray for His church. So again, we need uh, to have the right type of motives. And at the time I was cupbearer uh, to the king. Oh, this is just a fascinating um, passage. I really would encourage you, as always, to take some time to meditate upon it this week. I just want to talk to you about your quiet time or your tag time, your time alone uh, with God. How's that going? Uh, these days. Um, yeah, it's kind of one of those things that sometimes you're on and sometimes you're off and, and you feel really bad if you're off and if you miss one day, well then, oh, I blew it. You know, it's like a diet. <laughs> I'll start over next month. No, no, no. It's not a legalistic type of thing. It's just, it's just the principle that if you want to know someone... You have got to spend time with them. Don't you find that to be true? With your friends? Hey, love hanging out with encouraging friends. And so you make time for that, right? You make that Friday night. You make that uh, coffee appointment. Or you make that call in order to engage with them. And if you're going to have a deeper relationship with God, you have to take time to engage with Him, to pray to Him, to worship Him, to be engaging with His Word, which the Holy Spirit uses uh, to lead us to the desire to overcome sin in our lives. So when we talk about tag time, time alone uh, with God, that's the thing you really want to focus on. It's not time to bring out the laundry list, although God is concerned. It's time to be with God. It's time to listen to God. Or work with God, as I mentioned before. See, we have to think about it as a more dynamic relationship. People will get hung up on prayer. And I, uh, yeah, prayer is hard. Prayer is difficult. We just can't quite feel comfortable sometimes. Because we're talking to God, but He's not answering us. Now He's revealing Himself through thoughts and uh, revealing Himself through His Scripture and others. But it's just a different type of communication. In fact, uh, my son Wesley, when he was back in high school, uh, he was having a tough time with his prayer life. And so I said, well, let's uh, just do our prayer time together. And so that's what we did several times is we sat down and we went through a time alone with God. And so 
Now, I would be a part of it. He would be a part of it. Now, what is that? That's modeling, right? You're modeling how to spend time with God. And friends, the reasons, reason many of you don't know how to spend time with God is that it's never been modeled for you. Nobody's ever sat you down and said, okay, let's spend some time with God. I'll show you what I do. So I really would encourage you uh, to have a quiet time with your kids. Okay? Just sit down with them and say, hey, let's spend some time with God. And, of course, you want to adjust it for whatever age they might be. But it's a beautiful thing to do. In fact, I, uh, I'm discipling some guys, and that's one thing I do when I get together with them separately is we just do a quiet time together. And we learn from each other in regards to what a quiet time or a time with God alone looks like. And so, yeah, try that out. Because the problem is, you know, it says, you know, get in the closet. (laughs) And I understand that all. But, you know, your kids never see that, right? They might see you having a quiet time, and that's great, but... So much more important that you uh, include them in that time when you can. And so they learn from you how to get to know God better. In terms of spending time with God, of course, you always know you have to have the, the right place, wherever that might be in your house, uh, a place that's designated for your quiet time. A place that you go to and you know that's where you spend your time with God. And to have it regularly. Now don't get freaked out if you miss it. <laughs> Guys, I'm mad at you. <laughs> he just wants to spend time with you, okay? And you want to uh, be able to, again, have some tools. And talk to your small group leader about tools that you can use in your quiet time. There are so many wonderful devotions out there. And, and as a disciple-making church, we're just going to keep coming back to this and coming back to this and coming back to this. Because this is the most critical discipline that you do to grow your spiritual life. Just spend time with God. We cannot encourage you enough because when you get into the day and you've got all these deadlines and real people that are going to be mad, if you don't do what they say... Well, how about God? You know, he's not going to get on your case, right? Uh, Yeah, we can (laughs) forget about this. But remember, Nehemiah prayed twice as long for for the project as the project was, right? The more serious the issue, the more you need to pray. We need to pray for our nation. In fact, this Thursday is a national day of prayer. And I want to challenge you guys uh, to take some time on Thursday to fast and pray for our nation. I mean, we've seen this presidential race, and it's just kind of like, what? And, and of course, all the problems in our country. And, and we should pray for that. And sometimes we say, well, you know, I mean, first of all, we all know it's going downhill anyway. But, you know... You can deter the speed at which it goes downhill. As you pray for your country, for the president, for your representatives, for uh, other issues in our nation, 
your prayer is not unheard. Every time you pray, power is released. The Lord be with our president, help him to have wisdom. Power is released. It's not like God is saying, oh, I'm helping those guys. <laughs> no! No, every time you pray with the right motives, power is released. And we don't really feel the power per se, and it's hard to quantify, but we know it's true. So when we pray for our kids, we know every time we pray, power is produced for them. And when you really start to understand that, then you say, well, it makes sense to take a lot of time in prayer. It's my my worry, worrying hasn't been helping, right? But if every time I'm talking with God about something, power is produced, I should be engaged in that. So I encourage you again, this National Day of Prayer, you can go on the website, National Day of Prayer. They have all kinds of resources and prayer requests that you can pray for our country. And uh, I encourage you to fast. You know, fast for lunch or fast the whole day, whatever God leads you to do, and use that time to pray to God for the needs of our country. The last thing is that we need prayer as a church. And again, there's a slow process we're going through in making disciples, but we're talking a lot about prayer because people need that encouragement. And we need prayer for our church because some of the challenges uh, that we face as we move into this second chapter of really becoming a uh, disciple-driven church, we're going to need a lot of prayer to make those changes. So we want to encourage you to pray for our family, to pray for the different needs uh, that we have in order that a year from now we would be a better disciple-making church than this year, last year, and so forth, and get stronger and stronger. Because it's not necessarily the quantity of people, but it's the quality in which God is interested. He's interested in everyone in this room taking steps upon the discipleship journey. Well, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you... We know you, we love you, we trust you, and I pray for everyone here, including myself, that we continue to grow in the spiritual disciplines, especially, of course, our time alone with you, and that we would just keep growing. Yeah, life goes on and on, and if we, if we are filled with your Spirit, and we choose you, choose you as Lord, we're going to see some neat things happen. And I pray that we would grow in this way. In Christ's name, amen. The brushers come forward. At this time, we'll be taking our love gifts to God. And God enjoys this part of the service because he knows that this is where true sacrifice happens. You say, hey, God, I'm willing to put you first in my finances. I tell you, this is, uh, again, the official end of Disciple Driven. We've done this for two years. You guys have given faithfully two years. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the things you sacrificed in order to keep this ministry going, in order to empower us to be a light 
in this community. $400,000 was raised through commitments. And all I can say is thank the Lord and thank you for your faithfulness and giving. We saw exciting things happen. Of course, uh, hundreds of churches that were helping to start over in India. In fact, hopefully Rich will be able to go over uh, this summer and uh, get an update and give us more information about how those resources are being used. And we think about Lawndale. In Lawndale, we, we gave to them. That's what you do as a missionary, right? You're not concerned about what you give or get, per se. It's what you give. We gave $25,000 to uh, help restore this Hope House, which is a, a wonderful place where they have Christian rehabilitation. And, and yeah, and we, we've gone down there on trips. How many have gone down uh, to Hope House? Raise your hand. Keep it up high. Okay. Well, if you didn't, you missed it. Okay. <laughs> we've been doing it for two years. <laughs> so the important thing is when we put opportunities like this, you take advantage of it. Because I can tell you, everybody that went on that trip, that went to the worship service, they got a tour of this incredible campus in the middle of the inner city that was holistically discipling people, well, that was something beautiful. And we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for uh, Laura Schweber uh, leading our Connections Ministry and uh, Marcy Heflin joining our children's ministry, all strategic hires in order to continue to move forth and getting to be, getting to go where we believe that God is leading us. And again, I just want to say thank you. And as I shared with you before, uh, the elders have thought through this. And for the next chapter, uh, we're just going to ask you to pray about continuing your disciple-driven giving. Now, it's a big ask, but we need the resources in order to get the job done. But it's between you and God. You can do whatever you want. But take it to the Lord and ask Him for wisdom and insight. You can either roll your disciple-driven into the general fund, which it will be for anyway, or you can keep it in disciple-driven, whatever you prefer. But uh, I want to thank you guys for being so faithful and supporting this ministry.